From a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. You know the voice of Noah Adams. He's been on public radio for over 30 years as, among other duties, being a host of All Things Considered and a traveling reporter. He'll be in Columbus on Tuesday, July 26th at Fort Hayes with WCBE to discuss radio, his career, and the questions you asked. More information is available at wcbe.org. Welcome to Craft, Noah Adams. Hi, Doug. Good to talk to you. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you today after listening to and sometimes replying to you on the radio for so many years. It's uh, great to have a response to my questions, unlike when I'm in my car. Sure, I can just imagine that banging, banging your hand on the steering wheel and arguing with me. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly uh, Laughing. Right. Yes. During the benefit talk for WCBE, you're going to discuss your years of experience working for NPR. Now, I understand you started at WBKY, the University of Kentucky's station in Lexington in 1971. Tell me about uh, what you see as some of the largest changes in public radio uh, since then. Is it funding, technology, audience, all of these things? How, How is it so different now? Well, as you know, NPR went on the year 1971. And that's the big change for public radio. Before that, it was sort of, well, it was educational radio, uh, public, what are now called public radio stations. And WBKY at the University of Kentucky uh, was an educational station. They had a band at one point, meaning, meaning a, uh, a studio orchestra for the radio. And uh, it had a long history before NPR came along. And, but when NPR came along is when I got interested about the same time. And I volunteered. For the station, I was doing a bluegrass music show, and I was doing a progressive rock music show, which was on the air. I was paid a little bit for this because it was on the air from 11 at night to 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I was playing music of that day, early 70s. I was also doing construction work in in Lexington, Kentucky, and so I would get off the air at 2 o'clock in the morning and get up at 6 to go get, <laughs> go do the construction job. So... That's how, you know, we all have we all have stories like that about how we got started, and that's what happened to me. I don't have a story nearly as uh, exhausting as that to tell. How many years did you do that? A couple of years, and then I got a job. We had five uh, employees at that station and got a job as the uh, staff announcer and um, playing classical music. Mm-hmm. So that was a full-time job. I did a couple of news stories. I did a documentary about the Red River Gorge down in eastern Kentucky, which was um, under threat of being flooded by water because they wanted to put a dam in, and the Corps of Engineers wanted to do that, and the politicians wanted to spend that money and just ruin the beautiful Red River Gorge. So I did a documentary about that issue, and um, it was the first sort of light footstep I, I, I laid on, on, on the field of journalism, and, and all of a sudden I got interested in it because it, it did seem to make a difference, mm-hmm. and I just continued on from there. When you did the documentary, what, was, what were the conditions like for you when you were down there? I mean, the kind of equipment you must have carried uh, had to be really different, and you know, sort of getting into that at a time when not a lot of people knew about public radio and NPR. Sure. Uh, well, I did studio interviews, and I would take a tape recorder out, big ones, and then I would uh, I would edit by by uh, playing one tape recorder into another one, or by actually cutting. Uh, a, a radio veteran showed me how to make an edit uh, on uh, audio tape, diagonal edit with a razor blade, 
And that was just magic to me to see how that happened, that mm-hmm. something could go away. A word or a syllable could go away. I just thought that, but of course, it had been around for a long time. And that worked. I learned how to do it. And I find myself doing a lot of editing like that, but I get to do it digitally, which is far easier. What was your standard for, I'm going to cut this, but not that? I mean, how many mistakes did somebody have to make? How many words was your limit? Like, you wouldn't take out just one word when you had to cut it with a razor, I'm assuming. Well, you would, sure. Uh, somebody would stumble on something, say something wrong. Um, I, I will say, I'll, let me jump ahead 40 years, uh, even editing today. I think it's a matter of music, and it's just the way things sound. Obviously, you have to take some things out just for time, but the rest of the rest of the you know, job you're doing is is to create music. It's what a musician would do. Uh, I, I don't know anything about music, so I can't be very technical about that. But that's what I think it is. You want it to sound like a real conversation. Interestingly, right now, uh, I just saw a memo come from NPR the other day that said. NPR, as always, uh, will not make internal edits in what presidents say. That's been a matter of policy. In other words, if, if a president says something, NPR, in playing it back, would run the entire statement, not make any internal edits. And they were saying, now we're going to extend that to the presumptive nominees of both parties. Hmm. And I've never seen that before, but it's just uh, one of the things that they do. So if, if they stumble over something... When they said it, they're going to stumble over something when they say it on NPR, and I think that's good. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that it's happening now. Do you think that there's a particular reason for it to be occurring with the, this campaign as opposed to um, four years ago, eight years ago? Uh, it, you know, it could have happened four years ago or eight years ago with, with the nominees this close. I just don't remember that. I've only okay. seen it with presidents before. Yeah. Now, you've written five books, I believe, and co-authored one, This is NPR, The First 40 Years. Given the opportunity, would you prefer to write book-length studies like your book, The Flyers, in search of Wilbur and Orville Wright, or shorter pieces like you do as a traveling reporter for NPR? Well, I, have, I haven't done huge books, but I, I like book-length stories. And, uh, I, yeah, I do like the, the book about the Wright brothers is not, is not big. Uh, I wrote a book called Far Appalachia, which is about traveling the New River from North Carolina, Snake Mountain, all the way into West Virginia. And uh, they're, they're medium-sized books, but it takes that long to do things. We used to, as you might remember on NPR, do stories that could be 29 minutes long. And, you know, that doesn't happen now. Uh, that 29 minutes became 14 and a half minutes and then it became 12 minutes and the length I worked at mostly on all things considered when I would travel uh, would be 12 minutes and then it got to be seven and a half uh, the last story I did which was on the air 4th of July was three minutes and 11 seconds mm-hmm. <laughs> and so but so now when I listen to the stories we had on earlier 20 years ago I can't believe how how slow they are, but but you know I don't I don't think they're slow. I don't think they were slow then. I don't think they were wrong then. I just think times change and we we're moving much faster. That's that's what I. Read. A lot of times people say that writing short stories takes more time than writing a novel. Sure. Did you find that it takes more time to edit it down uh, because you've got to be so much more concise? Is it take longer sure. to produce stories now? Yeah, it can. Uh, three and a half, three and a half minute story 
is about twice the work as a seven-and-a-half-minute story is going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but that's just the case for me, because I was trained that way, I learned that way. I worked from uh, reduction. Right. If you would come back and you've got five hours of tape and you want it to be five minutes, you're going to do it. You're not going to go in and grab five minutes. Uh, it's going to be a matter of reduction. Now, the people who are coming up in the business uh, they're not afraid of a three-minute story, and they see it as extraction uh, <laughs> rather than reduction. They really do. And yeah, and I like the I like the, small, the shorter stories. Okay. I, I don't I don't mind doing them. Sometimes though, uh, NPR NPR's not saying don't never do a longer story. NPR is saying, boy, you better have something good here that needs twelve minutes, and they'll put it right on the air. They'll do that. What story have you covered that has been the one that stayed with you the longest? Maybe something that was very funny or joyful or even sad, but something that you just come back to a lot. You know, I'll give you a uh, a variation on that question would be, a lot of people ask me, who have you interviewed who's famous? And I, I don't like that question um, because the the interviews that stay with me over the years always are people who have forgotten I was there. There are people who were never impressed that I was there, who never impressed that they were going to be on the radio. Uh, people who invariably were doing something, and this is the key, doing something very important for their community. That's all they care about. And if you get that story on the air, first of all, they sound great. Uh, they're not posturing, and they're not, and they're not going to be big-time media stars. They're just people who are doing something for their for their community and where they live and the people they're working with. And those stories break your heart, and you don't forget them. And those are the ones that I remember. Uh, I don't remember, you know, interviews with movie stars like that. You had mentioned the kinds of questions that people ask you, and when you do benefits like the one for WCB on July 26th, uh, in which you discuss your career, what are some of the most common questions that you're asked by listeners that uh, people just can't seem to uh, get enough of hearing about? Uh, well, they may ask the same one I just mentioned. Right. You know, have you ever talked to to Stevie Wonder or, or something like that? And it's easy to get past that, actually. Um, you know, I have done 30 years of interviewing people and 30 years of reporting, and uh, that's thousands and thousands. And and always, I, and I'll say again, it's, the, it's when you finally got to somebody's house in the evening and you're down in eastern Kentucky, and there's a cold issue. There's always a cold issue going on. got to be worse with mountaintop removal. And you can sit there and talk to people about what their lives have been like and what they have hopes for for the future. And, and that's a very serious thing because they don't care that you're with a radio network. They just care that you're there, and they're going to take care of you, and they're going to tell you the truth about their lives. And... Uh, that's always the most important thing to me, and it's always the one I remember. Noah Adams, I thank you very much for talking to me today, and I look forward to you being in Columbus with WCBE on Tuesday, July 26th, and we'll hear more stories from your career in NPR. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. Be creative.